sometimes you have to look at the room and then quickly lean in and whisper to someone. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. I am the host for this episode, Andy Little, and I'm joined by three very special friends, Matt Delaney, Christopher Kolber, and Tiffany Prophet. Everybody, thanks for hopping on. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. So we are going to be talking about this idea of recessing your recess. So let's set the stage with a case. And as I go through this case, I know that everybody here has had one of these. So hopefully the listeners, this isn't a foreign concept, but we're going to work through this. So you're working a regular shift in your emergency department and a cardiac arrest comes in. It's one where, you know, they call it overhead. You get everybody ready. Um, you get distracted as the patient comes in because something else is going on. So you actually walk into a cardiac arrest and process. You know, you've got multiple team members in the room. You've got nurses, you've got residents and other learners helping process through it. And you see that things are not going well. Now, when I talk about going not going well, that can happen for a lot of reasons, right? So not going well can be because there's a misunderstanding of what actually happened before the patient got there. It can be communication issues. It can be some technical problems, whether it's landing the procedures that need to be done, intubation, central line, or just overall like a combination of the above, right? And so you walk into this, you walk into this room and you notice that things are not going well because there's really some miscommunication between the recess leader and your and and your 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 head nurse. And then you notice that there's some family members in the room causing a little bit of a problem. So first initial thoughts, what runs through your mind as you think about this recess that isn't going well? I'd say first thing is I try to wrangle everybody as best as possible and bring the temperature down. So I try to redirect and refocus everybody on just simple ABCs. Say, okay, how are we on airway? Is airway secure? Are we oxygenating well? Are we bagging easily? Do we have lung sliding? Because I always like to have my ultrasound there during a recess. Do I have bilateral breath sounds? And just go from there. And hopefully that can get everybody redirected and focused on the patient and rescue that code. Yeah, it's, it's a super chaotic setup, right? And so this is a situation when I walk in, if we've got family members freaking out, EMS is trying to give a report, the nurses are trying to get a line. I find myself sometimes actually turning my back to the patient briefly to settle everybody down. And I say, hey, look, I'm in charge. Everyone's welcome to stay. All ideas are welcome, but we need to hear my voice and the nurse's voice. And that's the closest I come to being a jerk on shift is just you've got to put that fire out because I think we've all seen it. If you don't do that up front, it turns into just a five alarm blaze. And I think to add on to that, all of that just amazing insight is when you first, when I first walk in the room and I see that there's a little bit of unrest, realistically, every recess is going to be a pivot. It's an exercise in a pivot. Is this working? Do I need to switch this way? Do I need to switch this way? Just what I, what do I need to do to accommodate what's going on in this specific recess? Sometimes you have to look at the room and then quickly lean in and whisper to someone and state, hey, we're going to make this one person call, or you lean to the other person and say, hey, I need you to lower your voice a little bit as opposed to yelling vitals for no specific reason. You, It's it's strong, so very important to, as was communicated before, to not only identify, but kind of like lean in a little bit and, and, and give that first whisper so that you can honestly kind of take command of the room. You can't just, you because you just don't want to walk in and be another person blasting out orders. You have to take a quick assessment, kind of lean into some individual, whether it's the resident or the charge nurse, or it's the family member. Sometimes you have to lean in just to do decrease some of the collateral damage. 
Yeah, I love that you guys bring up really the, the couple different approaches. And w- this reminds me of one early on in residency. I was running a code with a good friend, John Casey, one of my co-hosts. And I remember things were getting away from us in this code. And he just yelled really, really loud, level 58, level 58, and started clapping his hands. And everybody was like, what's a level 58? He goes, it's nothing. Everybody calm the f- down, right? So he made a big enough like roar in the room to where people like would reset to what's going on. And then he kind of doved out like, okay, I need you to focus on this. I need you to focus on this. And he kind of did what I think most of us probably do when we prepare for a code, which is we come up with very set responsibilities. We empower people to work within their 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 assignment and and communicate openly with one person, which is the recess leader, and then by proxy the the the, uh, the charting nurse. And then we also focus on making sure that the room stays quiet because a quiet code is a good code, right? So I love that Tiffany, you brought the idea of bringing it back to the basics. I feel like too many times we we spend so much time immediately thinking of all the crazy drastic things that we need to do, and that can kind of lead to everybody in the room getting amped. But it really is focused. Focusing on, do we have an airway? Do we have access? Are we supplying good compressions? Because if those three things don't work, nothing else is really going to work. Matt, I love that you bring up identifying, like kind of just resetting from the beginning, because I feel like at some point, like you just have to shock your resuscitation. And some people talk about defibrillating your recess, where you just have to kind of like shock the system and say, hey, like let's start start from scratch and move on. But Chris, I think the, the pro level move is what you brought up is don't be loud about it, is literally go to the individuals that are causing problems one by one. And saying, hey, I need you to calm down. I need you to focus on this and kind of redirect their their energy. This is my mantra, which I don't share broadly until now. But if you think about it, most people aren't going to die today. And the few that are dying, I can only save a very small subset of those. And so I tell myself that as I'm walking back there to pull the adrenaline out of my brain. To basically say, we know how to run the play. It's the nerves that push us off what we know how to do. Again, it's not a great pep talk. I don't tell the families that, but we do our best knowing that this is a dire situation. Adrenaline doesn't help me in this situation. Matt, I completely agree with that. And sometimes if I feel as we're waiting for the code that my team is getting really amped up already in the room, I will tell them, I'll say, guys, they're already dead. We cannot kill them more. We can just hope to bring them back. And sometimes even during the code, I'll say, they're already dead. We can't make them more dead. We're just going to try to bring them back. Touche. Touche. Well played. It, here's the thing as well. It's, it, because there's, there's a part of this. It's, if we know the code is coming in and they immediately say, it's a child, there's emotion already. Before they even hit the door, you've got everyone prepared. They've got, and there's a whole lot of emotion involved. And I think it's so very important as you communicate is to define roles and define the situation. Hey, we know what's coming in. All of us are physicians. Here's the charters. Here's the resident. And so, and I and I recommend that we say it out loud. It sounds corny, but it, it makes a difference. Like if this is basketball, you yell before you pass the ball to Timmy or Chad or whomever. And so, hey, what are your roles? I've got this. I've got this. Who's doing this? Who's doing that? So that when whatever comes in that door, we're prepared. Whether they're nine years old or 90 years old, the emotion is going to be there. So how can we taper that to provide the best medical management properly? It's, this is Grandpa Corner, but it's that quote from ER that's really famous, which is when Dr. Green tells Carter, Carter, you set the tone, right? So like, if you're freaked out in the recess, how do you think the, the, the paramedic student who's shadowing feels in that room? And so I think that's a good reminder. Look in the mirror. You are likely the most trained person. You've had the most touches. And the second you start to sweat, your whole team is panicking. 
Yeah, I love that you guys bring up those those points. So again, so you've, you've walked in the room, you've done, you start to do some of this stuff, right? You recognize that, you know, people are getting a little louder than they should be. So you, I, I chose to do, do more of the mad approach where I kind of say, hey guys, let's reset the room. Let's focus on what we can do. But there's this lingering problem that you notice throughout the recess, and it's this family member. Now, again, I think we've all ran codes with family members at the bedside. I think there is a time and a place for a healthy family member in the right mindset to be in the room throughout the code, or at least to be there for critical points of it. But this family member is starting to become a problem. And so in your guys' experience, have you dealt with family members knowing just blankly a family member's in the room and it seems to be an issue? If a family member's already in the room, I will ask the family member to just, mo- I introduce myself, I quickly introduce myself. Hey, my name is Dr. Colbert, I'm a supervising physician. Hey, let's step out for a second. And I will literally look at the resident or the charge nurse with that, hey, I'm taking this person out of the room for a second, run this and please run this while I get this patient out. Because that's, there's so much of this individual I don't know anything about. And because of that potential, and the best we can do is kind of stabilize the situation as best possible, Take out that variable at least until you get some clarity. My preference is to have them not in the room at first with the goal being to quickly assess them and bring them into the room. But in this situation, if they're in the room, again, it goes back to power. And what I do is I I come in slow. I walk up. I'm Dr. Delaney. Nice to meet you. Sit with me. And I sit next to them as the code is going on because I want to de-escalate that situation if they're starting to ramp up. And if, if they don't sit, if they're not listening, that becomes quickly a safety issue. It's getting in the way of our team. But a lot of people are so taken aback when you directly confront them, but in a kind way. Hey, I want you to be here. They want you to be here. We have to do it in a way that lets us take the best care of them. Sit with me and I'm going to tell you what's going on. Works a decent percentage of the time, but there are those situations where you look at it and instantly you're like, that's not a person who's going to be able to be in this room while this all happens. Yeah. I'd say if you're lucky to have the one who's receptive to you coming up and approaching them, I'll do the same thing. I'll do the slow. I'll change my voice cadence. I'll change my volume and I'll put my arm on their shoulder. And I'll, same thing. Introduce myself. Say, this is my team. We're doing everything we can for a family member, friend, loved one. And it's going to help us the most if we just have you sit aside for a moment and we'll come back and we'll check up on you and we'll let you know how things are going. But right now we're just going to have you sit outside and I'll put them outside the room. But again, that only helps if they're cooperative and if they're calm. So somewhere in this, you know, I started doing some of those same things. I'm like Matt and and Tiffany mentioned, I go slowly over by the family member. I introduce myself. Hey, I'm Dr. Little. Who are you? Ascertain who they are in relation to the patient. Come to find out it's a daughter and she is a she's a nurse. And so she wants to be in the room. She wants to be part of the team. And so I, I initially acknowledged. I said, hey, well, you're, you're happy to stay. And then I kind of rearranged where she is in the bed. So she was up at the up at the head of the bed, really getting in the way of RT, helping with helping with us prepare to do an intubation on the patient. And so I move her to the foot of the bed and I and I have to spend a decent amount of time like wrangling her in to stay at the foot of the bed with me because they're struggling with an IV. She's like, Oh, I can help them. And I had to rearrange her. I said, right now you are not a nurse right now. You are a daughter who happens to know more than the average person. And so we had this conversation about the role of being, you know, an advocate for her dad at the foot of the bed with me. And then, and then, you know, as, as it progressed, it actually got a little nice because other family members came in or showed up and I got to use her as basically an advocate for the room 
to where I could say, can you go update the family? And I gave her the opportunity to like play that role in our recess versus keeping her in the room the entire time, knowing that like we had to have some heavy conversations about, you know, next steps, when are we going to stop? And I wanted her to be a part of those, but I didn't want her to be in the room when we as a group talked about it. Because as you guys know, we're very frank in the room when we talk about, okay, so how much longer are we going to work? If we found something reversible, if we haven't, how's, how's this going to go? So when you think about it from the perspective of having a family member that's now a healthcare worker, what would be your tips on how to, how to use these people best in the room? Medical professionals are the worst, the worst. <laughs> like there's, there's no playing that off. There's no play. I would rather have 50 people from 20 people from the soccer team, the, the college soccer team in that room that I have to have a conversation with than that one person who is a, uh, medical staff because and I get it they're emotionally involved and they have some insight they have some insight and so the delivery is one of it's one of I try to do I, I tend to be relatable hey well you know what I'm PM&R and I'm honestly thinking to myself but better I'm, than I'm radiology like, worse than radiology yeah, exactly <laughs> but nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with radiology yeah, or PM&R but I'm, ideally in the code I, I just please. So I'll say, hey, look, I understand that. I appreciate your insight. This is this is a very, very a, a unique situation. If you could please just walk out with me and we have this conversation or just step to the side just for a moment. We, we understand how important this is for both you and for us, because what happens is they'll they'll just put themselves in the code. All of us have had that where people ask to put in IVs or make recommendations to give medication that has been an ACLS since 2003, or and you have to be mindful of their relationship with the individual, respectful of their position, as well as be in the moment with this code. I, I treat them like they're a guest of my house, and every idea they have is a good idea, and I do almost none of them. So if you're a rheumatologist, like, yeah, a set rate would, actually, that's a really good idea. I haven't thought about that. And I just humor them. And what I do is kind of like when I'm trying to get my daughters to be quiet, we'll go down the road until they suddenly realize they don't know what they're talking about. And so I make sure the room knows that I'm in charge. I'm the leader of the team, but this person is sitting next to me. And so I say, what do you think? Here's this EKG. What do you think? Oh, I'm a rheumatologist. I don't look at those. Okay. Then I've kind of defused them some, but I get a lot more leeway out of the, this is my buddy. They're here. They're also medical. And again, you're right, Chris, they're throwing out ideas that are, are nonsensical and potentially dangerous. But as long as the room knows that I'm in charge, it doesn't really take a lot of energy for me to just listen to their medical diatribe about what they would do if this were their clinic. Yeah, I probably do something similar like that with a little caveat of how I probably talk to my husband sometimes when I don't think it's a great idea. I say, you know, that's really interesting that you brought that up. But actually, these studies have shown that that hasn't helped in ACLS. So we've gone away from that. But I appreciate you mentioning that and discussing it. I got busted for that as a resident. I worked with a certain attending who I'll just, our styles didn't jive. And for like a couple of months when I was the third year, she'd tell me to do stuff. And I would always say, we could definitely do that. That is definitely something we could do. But I never said I would do it. I never did it. And then one day she's like, are you ever doing these things that you told me we could do? And I was like, no, no. But I mean, we still could do them. So we've got this family member. And, and I, I did a little bit of everything that you guys brought up as I, I focused on like what they knew. I focused on what they could help me with. They did throw out some crazy. I remember they said, can we do stress dose steroids? And I was like. What is your, does your dad have a history of adrenal insufficiency? Yeah, we, did, he just, did he run a marathon before he got here today? Like, I mean, I asked some 
kind of benign, but maybe a little patronizing questions to kind of be like, that's a great idea if, but it's not where we're at. But I actually found that the key was, is that I, my, one of my biggest struggles is actually managing the family while they're, once the whole family arrives. And when I say family, we're talking a room of people. We're in our, we're in our family room and always toggling between the recess and that room at times can be difficult because they want your hundred percent attention. But then they also want you to be 100% in the room. And so I found that having somebody who worked in healthcare who at least understood the basics of what was going on, I could have them kind of be the messenger between rooms, between times that I could actually go over there. And so I remember she said, hey, I'm in healthcare, brought her to the foot of the bed, rustled with her for a little bit, and then her family was here. And I said, hey, can we do a, could, will you stay here for a room update? And then can you go with me to update with your family and then stay with them explaining what we're doing? And so we did a room update with everybody, our pharmacist, everybody weighed in. We did a med review with nursing. We checked off the procedures that we still needed to do before we considered that we had done everything we could. And then I walked with her over to the family room. And in the family room, I gave the update and I said, you know, your, 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 your sister, cousin slash her, she is going to be the one that is here in the room as a resource if you have questions for what we're doing. And I will come back periodically and give you guys updates. And it was actually really good because then I, you know, when I would go back, like she was running that room to where the family room was dramatically easier for me to run and be a part of every time I went back because she had no new 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 ACLS, knew what we had left to do in terms of our checklist of things we wanted to make sure we had tried or attempted before we called it. And to where even when we had to call the code later, she was she had the room on board that like when I walked in, the, the one of her sisters said, "So I, I imagine it's time to call it." And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, said, my sister said that the next time you came in, we'd have to have a conversation and you would look happy if it was good and you would look sad if it wasn't good. And I was like, oh, I need to work on my face. But (laughs) she had gotten the family ready for that moment of, hey, we've done everything we can do. And so it was what actually started out as a problem in my recess, which was this kind of nosy, pushy family member was able to transition over the course of 20 minutes to actually probably the smoothest family conversation I've ever had throughout my entire career because I was able to empower them to be in the room instead of walking into this hostile environment, which we know we've all done. Like we go and we give an update. We'll be back in five minutes. We come back. So they're saved. And you're like, "Ah, that's not really how this works. It doesn't go from like dead to dead to save, you know, dead to he's awake. Like that's not how this works. And so having her in the room, helping run that room was actually really helpful. That that was a good play, Andy. That's a really good recommendation that, it wasn't my recommendation. It was my chargers, by the way. I will 100% give my charge nurse, Rachel. She was like, hey, Little, why don't you have her go run the family room? And I was like, that's a really good idea. This is, this is like Vegas. You never show your hand. You never show your hand. Like, yeah. you know what? Yeah. This is my plan to begin with. I knew that total stranger, and then she should be part of the play. That's how this works. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, Andy, one of the things that over the years I've realized is a really powerful tool to running that room, and it seems kind of secondary, but it's knowing who everybody is in relation to the patient. It could be real quick. I'm Dr. Delaney. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Because if I know you're like cousin's ex-boyfriend and you're the one piping up, I don't, that that has less weight in terms of who I'm going to listen to, but it's the stranger in the corner is the one who's gotten me before. Cause it's like, Oh, this is the the recent ex-wife. And so I try to say, this is who I am very quickly. Who are you guys? So at least I know a little bit of the dynamic that I'm walking into. Again, in a code, it doesn't seem like what we should focus on, but it does help when you get that unruly room. So for the various reasons why you would need to recess your resuscitation, why doesn't everybody go around and give me like the biggest tip for how do you hand how do you change the dynamic in the room to at least by the end of it, you're where you wanted to be, which was a quiet room, a focused room, a team oriented room, and one that was being productive. I would start with define roles before is is defining roles before the recess comes in, number one. And number two, understanding your role is to 
maintain a culture that promotes good discussion and good decision making. And to do that, you have to be a role player, meaning that if I want my resident to feel comfortable doing what they're doing and the charge nurse to feel in that place, in that role that time, I need to whisper. You know, the what I'm whispering may vary, but it's it needs to be a whisper of, hey, this is the direction where we're going. These are the expectations of the room. This is how we're going to do it. So making those definitions and not only defining people beforehand, but maintaining the expectations during the code and reminding everyone is worth its weight in gold. Those are my two big things, defining what your roles are and maintaining the expectations of the code throughout the code. I think that's great. I'd say to piggyback off of that, once all those roles are defined, all the expectations, we all understand that we're working as a team together. I will, I'm, I'm with you, Chris, I will talk quieter during the code to just, and I'll sometimes slowly lower my volume so that we gradually bring the tone down. But the one time where I'll be louder is if I feel it's getting out of control and I'll just say, hey guys, let's run down the patient. And that's when I go back to all the basics of, you know, ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. And then I run through all the meds and I say, okay, everybody on the same page, any other thoughts? What do we think we need to do next? I try to bring a sanctity, and I don't mean any kind of theologic slant, take whatever you want from it, but some kind of significance into the room, specifically when the code is not going well, when this person is dying or has died. And you guys know me, I have, I love gallows humor, I have the darkest humor possible. You're not going to hear it in that room. Now, in the lounge, yes, maybe in the hallway when the family's gone, yes. But in that room, there's no cussing, there's no joking, we're not talking about other things. And I think that that heaviness lets us focus but also brings the room under some control. And we'll do the kind of, we'll discuss that this is the end of their life. We'll do the moment of silence. But but that seriousness, I think, cuts out a lot of the normal chatter. And I've had family kind of pick up on that when they see that this is a solemn thing and that we're a, a crack team doing our best. That mood, I think, puts out a lot of fires before they get going. Yeah, I love the combination of, of what you guys brought up there. And the only thing I would add is, is that it's empowering your team members to to have a voice in the room and then just re resetting that when it gets out of hand. I think we've all been in the room where we start out with a really good team and then it's almost like we're a pit crew where like magically like the tires change on a race car, like people come in to try to, you know, oh, I'm going to help out. And like they swap people out. And I'm like, How? lunch can wait, people, but like they can't wait. And so people swap out and then you have to like reset those individuals to what the plan was before they got there. And then one quick thing I do pretty routinely in codes when it gets too loud is I empower my 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 charting nurse to do a code review where they go over the medicines we've given, interventions that are given, and they're allowed to es escalate their voice above the room and kind of reset the room like, hey, everybody listen up. This is what we've done. This is what we have left to do. Any questions? And that kind of also resets the tone for the room. So Matt, Tiffany, and Chris, thanks so much for hopping on for this episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. If you are listening, do not forget we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. And don't forget to follow us on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And until next time, thank you so much for listening.